It's great to look out and see many of you today, praise God, uh, for the gathering of the saints to worship the King, to divide His Holy Word, study it, and be inspired and matured in our faith. Um, God is good, and it's a joy to be together. Uh, I have looked forward to today's sermon for a while. If you'll grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians, Towards the back of your Bible, we're um, very much enjoying our journey through this letter. This is the 19th sermon. Today we will focus on verse 8 of chapter 2. A very famous and wonderful words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Look with me. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Pray with me. Father, you are worthy to be praised. For you are the creator of all, sustainer of all, our very presence, our ability to wake, our commute to this location, the fact that our chair holds together beneath us in this moment is all the sovereign work of your sustaining power. And we, we worship you. We, we savor you. We, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace. We deserve your righteous wrath because of our sin. And you were not obligated, nor were we deserving, but you chose to save many. We thank you for the gift of faith. I pray that we would climb into faith this morning to see it, understand it better, that we would put it to work all the more, that we would literally live by faith, And not by sight. For some who might still be dead in sin, that today might be that day you ordained to give eyes to see and ears to hear, that they would believe and be saved. That we wouldn't cling to a pursuit of trying to find all the answers or figure it all out. There would just be a clarity of sight of what we're doing our sin and what you've done to save us in Christ. And faith would abound. Lord, you know how much I've been praying for each of us for today's time in the Word that we would not leave the way we came in. There would be a maturing. There would be a a revelation of clarity and, and a response of faithfulness like never before. That our daily lives look different as a result of our time in the Word. The Holy Spirit would bring illumination, bring clarity, bring refinement, bring conviction. Here we are, God. Do your mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. According to the authority of Scripture alone, 
We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We're saved by grace and through faith. We're saved because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. This is the why we are saved. God's grace. God's glory. Not because we're deserving. Not because He was obligated. But only because He willed it so. If you are saved, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, why are you a Christian? Because of God's amazing gift of grace. How are you a Christian? Through faith in Christ alone. The vehicle of our salvation, the means of our salvation, the doing of our salvation is not anything we perform or merit, but it is a trusting in the doing, the performance, the merit, the power of another. That is Jesus Christ. A Word of Truth Catechism says this so very well in answering the question, what is saving faith? Listen clearly. Listen. Rather than Trusting one's own assumed worth, works, or ability, a person repents and believes that Jesus is God. Trust in Jesus' sinless life of of perfect obedience. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross in his or her place. And Jesus rising from the dead to claim salvation and victory for him or her. Saving faith is produced in the elect by God and is always accompanied by progressive sanctification and ongoing repentance from sin. The why we are saved is not our doing. It is a gift of God. And what I want you to see today is the how we are saved is not our doing. Grace is a gift and according to Scripture, Faith is a gift. All praise be to God. For He is mighty to save and is worthy to be praised. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Before we get to some of the additional layers, I want to first focus on what faith is and what it isn't. I want to say, as I prayed a moment ago, I've been regularly praying for you a lot this week. Praying for us. That our time in God's Word this morning would be truly fruitful. That the Lord would help each of us climb into a fresh and a more full understanding of our faith. And more than anything, then a fuller practice of our faith in all of life. That in whatever ways it is guilty of being compartmentalized, put on a shelf, 
sometimes walking by faith, sometimes walking by sight, that we really would be people of faith all the time. If faith is the vehicle we climb into to be saved, if faith is essential for making all progress in our maturity in life and worship to God, then we need to better understand it so we can better put it to work in all that we do. I think faith is often a very misunderstood thing. A lot of people will talk about faith or claim faith who really don't know what they're talking about. One insight into this reality is that Webster's Dictionary has 17 different definitions of the word faith. There are so many definitions, so many ideas of what faith is, that it can be difficult to have clarity and maybe even conversation with others in our testimony of what saving faith is, of what true Christian faith really is. Thankfully, God's Word brings needed clarity. Grab your Bibles and, and look with me at Hebrews 11. You go, go further back than where you're at in Ephesians to Hebrews chapter 11. Great testimony of many of the faithful who have come before us. And in its opening verse, we have a very simple twofold definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right away, twofold definition. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's start with the second. Faith is a conviction of things not seen. Listen to this carefully. What is faith? It is a conviction in something you don't see. You don't see it, but you are convinced. You are convicted. It is real. It is a true and real trust in what is out of sight. To get this part of our definition, the author gives an illustration in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith understands that creation, what is seen, was made out of what is not seen, the Creator, God. Faith is what sees what is not seen. And it is convicted by it. The conviction, church, is the key here. It is especially key because Scripture tells us that all of mankind sees the evidence of the Creator in the scene of the creation, but many are not convicted by it. Romans chapter 1.20 says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Clearly seen. 
What is invisible is clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There is no such thing as an atheist. There are people who know God to be real and true, but, but deny or lie about that fact. Scripture declares they know because of what they see. We all look at the same evidence. But some are moved by God's grace and through faith, the gift of faith, to have conviction, and some are not. For those who trust in Him, who believe into Him, it is important to understand that God is the one who has given eyes to see and the heart to be convinced. To not only see, but to trust in Him. Faith is taking hold of God who cannot be seen. Because you see the evidence of His fingerprints in what you see, which everyone else does too, but the difference is you are convicted it is Him behind it all, and you trust in that. Instead of deny it. What this means, church, is that faith is not blind. You heard people say blind faith? It's kind of a way to poke at faith. Or maybe you've even said that about your own faith, really not thinking of it rightly. It is not, faith is not baseless or reckless wishes or optimism. Saving faith listen carefully, is not just a leap at something you hope to be true. This kind of thinking almost falls into the notion of, I will believe it into existence. Or I'll fake it until I make it. Or I'll work really hard to make it this become my reality. Please understand, this is not true faith. This is why we don't scare people into proclaiming faith in Christ. You've seen that or witnessed that, or people with good intentions maybe have, have gone there. They'll just rail over the crowd to just break them down, to create so much fear of hell or whatever that, that they'll just break to say, okay, yeah, I don't want that. But they're not trusting in God. When we are trusting in God, walking by faith, in a hard situation, let's say it's a very uncertain situation, and you are truly trusting God's perfect will and outcome, despite what you can see, despite how it looks like it's going to go, this is not some kind of blind, haphazard, throw-it-to-the-wind kind of practice. 
Have you ever heard someone say in moments like that, man, you got more faith than I do? In some way, what they're saying is, you're willing to blindly trust what I don't think is trustworthy. And that is because the person who does not have solid and true faith is thinking about it wrongly. They don't see the confidence in your heart, the resolve in your spirit to truly and fully trust in God. They fail to to be truly convicted that God has the situation in His sovereign hands. To them, it is blind, maybe even reckless, to have faith in given the gravity or the disparity of the situation that you're in. Which is why they feel like they can't join you there. Church, faith is not blind. Faith is also not a feeling. I've encountered many people over the years who have claimed to be Christians, but talking to them more about what they believe or what they're trusting in, you come to see that they're not believing and trusting in the completed work perfect work of Christ on their behalf. But their so-called faith is simply a mental assent or a gut feeling that they're good with God. You've had these conversations too. Maybe even with dear loved ones. No, I'm good with God. Can we be really clear? Faith, saving faith, is not based on feelings or attitudes. If your faith is based on these things, hear this clearly, it's why your faith constantly feels so unstable. True faith is based wholly on God, who is trustworthy, unchanging, and all-powerful. God is greater than stable. He is completely without any degree of wavering. There are a lot of people who believe a lot of different things about God and or Jesus and or how one obtains salvation. But we must understand that just because someone says they have faith and or belief doesn't mean they're saved. Let's consider the other part of the definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words... Faith is a deep confidence that the promises of God will come true. We believe this so much, we are so assured in it, we are so confident in it, we put all of our lives onto it. 
Faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would be a mere mind game. It is truly trusting in the promises of God. It is the one who says, I will take my life off of the temporary and failed things I can see and trust in and put it on the eternal, absolute promises of God whom I can't see, but I totally hope in and trust. It is a hope in God's ability to deliver in opposition to the things we previously had hoped in that can't deliver. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Faith is being sure of God's promises that they are worth putting your hope in. Paul's emphasis in our passage is dealing with saving faith, which brings us to, and this is key, the object of our faith. Specifically, faith in Jesus Christ. And more specifically, that Jesus is the promised Messiah who has lived without sin, died to fully pay for our deserved wrath due our sin, and has risen victoriously to reign with God forever, just as we will one day with Him. The late great Dutch Reformed theologian Hermann Bavink says it this way, Faith in Christ enables believers in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as His children, and will bequeath to them eternal blessedness. The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith says, The principal act of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. That what God's coveted to do, He did, and we trust in it fully. The Redeemer came, lived, died, rose again, and reigns on high. Our Word of Truth Catechism answer, what must we do to be saved, is when we are enabled by the power and will of God, we joyfully and willingly turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone. This is saving faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
to help us climb into the depths of what Scripture teaches us about saving faith. Biblical scholars for centuries have taught true saving faith has three components to it. Knowledge, belief, and trust. And all three are essential. Other theologians who have come along, famous Baptist preacher, pastor Charles Spurgeon, referred to these as awareness, assent, and commitment. James Montgomery Boyce referred to them as notia, ascensus, fiducia. Let's look at them. First, knowledge. Knowledge means you have to know about the object of your faith. You have to know about the object of your faith. R.C. Sproul says it well. Faith without content is no true faith at all. Before I believe in, I must believe that. This is why the Bible says, Romans 10.14, How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Or in Romans 10.17, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. We must hear or take into our minds the truth about the Gospel of Jesus before we can believe in it. We must know it, hear it, take it in. Number two, we must believe. Belief means you have to believe what you now know. Watch this. You can know all about God and not know God. You can study the Bible and go to church every week and not be saved. Why? Because you must believe what is true about God. Jesus speaks about this directly, talking about the Pharisees who were very wise in their understanding of many of the laws of God, teachers of the law. Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is still very true of many kinds of people today who have knowledge about what a Christian is or maybe much of what the Bible teaches, but don't believe in the Gospel. They know that Jesus said He is the only way, but they don't agree with what He said. Second Thessalonians 2.13 God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Calvin said it this way, It now remains to pour into the heart itself what the mind has absorbed. For the Word of God is not received by faith if it flits about in the top of the brain, but when it takes root in the depth of the heart that it may be invincible, an invincible defense to withstand and drive off all the stragums of temptation. Let 
we must believe, we must know, and then we must believe what we now know. And third, we must trust in it. Trust means you truly and fully surrender yourself to the one you now believe in. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says it this way, real yielding of oneself to Christ goes beyond knowledge. However full and accurate that knowledge may be, and even beyond agreeing with or being personally moved by the gospel. Dr. Jones reveals how belief is needed, but not enough. You can know about God in your head. Watch this. You can even believe what you know in your heart, but still not have saving faith. This is what James is emphasizing in James 2.19. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know about God and believe what they know about Him to be true. Not calling it a lie, but calling it true. So much so that they shuddered at what they knew to be true about Him, but they did not have saving faith. I can't tell you how many well-intending family members I have heard say over the years that they think their loved one is in heaven not because they witnessed true surrender or heard testimony of true submission to Jesus as Lord, but only because they simply claimed to believe that Jesus was God. Do you see the difference? Trust is committing our lives to Jesus. It's passing over the line of belonging to ourselves to belonging to Jesus. It's dying to ourselves and living to Christ. This is true conversion. Conversion is a Holy Spirit-empowered response to the gospel call by which a person willingly and sincerely repents of sin and places his or her complete trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The word conversion itself means a turning it represents a spiritual turn, a turning from sin, a turning to Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance. The turning to Christ is called faith. John 3.16, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John uses a surprising phrase. He does not simply say whoever believes Him. Do you see that? Demons believe Him. They don't believe in Him. Into Him. Jesus says, whoever believes in Him. The Greek translation better said there is, believes into Him. The, the key difference between believing about or just believing something to be true and then banking your life on it. 
I can believe about it. I can believe it to be true and still not bank my life on it, still not trust in it. We are to put all of our life on Christ. So much so that if Christ is not enough, you're done. Because it's all on him. But if he is, you are saved. There's no parachute here. There's no backup plan. It's all or nothing. We don't add a little faith in Christ so that we can be covered. No, Scripture says we die to ourselves and trust completely in Christ alone. In this, we must see that a believer in Jesus is not someone who just proclaims belief in Jesus or even someone who says they trusted Him at one time. True belief is new birth. It is a life that now rests in, trusts in, goes by faith in Christ. If your life is marked by a repetition of stated proclamations of belief about Jesus, but you still, at the end of the day, live your life trusting in yourself, then you are still on the throne of your life and still dead in your sin. It is only when your stated proclamation of belief that Jesus is Savior and Lord is backed by a life that submits to Jesus as Lord and trusts in His will and lives and obeys His word that we should have confidence that our claim of belief is not superficial but genuine and real. So true saving faith is knowledge. You have to know what the object of your faith is. Belief, you have to believe what you now know in your heart. And trust, you have to completely surrender yourself to the one to whom you believe in. I will say quickly that all of us are believing or trusting something. You could, you could say today, I have nothing to do with faith in Jesus. But can I be clear, you're believing in or you're trusting in something. You're banking on something. But mere conviction or general belief in something is not enough. And it's surely not saving. It is faith in Christ alone that saves. Let's now turn our attention to Paul's important emphasis that follows this clear statement that we are saved through faith. Look at the second part of verse 8 with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Paul's immediate clarity after declaring that we're saved through faith is to help us see that our faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. We've already seen that grace is an undeserved, 
unobligated free gift from God. But now we must see that faith is a gift as well. This is a critical clarity because if or when we believe that our faith in Jesus unto salvation is all of us and not of God, then we have contributed something to our salvation and therefore have something to boast in. Now, hear me real clearly right here. I don't want you to get me wrong in this. We are the ones who believe. No one believes for us. But we must see that Scripture teaches that the faith we exercise is put into our hands by God. Without His gifting it to us, we would not exercise it. Faith is a gift of God. Paul and Peter say this clearly. That it is God's work in and through us. Uh, look at Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. Both are a gift. Both have been granted to you. Belief is a gift. And suffering in the name of Christ is a gift. Now hear me again. We do both. We are the ones who believe. We are the ones who suffer. No one does this for us. But both are a gift of God and therefore only done by us because they're entrusted to us by Him. Therefore, I have nothing to boast in. 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant of the Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. We've received our faith as a precious gift from God. Church, this is good news. In Hebrews 12, we are told that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author and the finisher. The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith affirms this in its declaration, This faith, although being in different stages and may at times be weak or strong, right? We know that journey of our exercise of it. It gets the victory. True faith gets the victory growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. If you have true faith, you will not lose it. Why? Because Scripture declares it has been authored and it will be finished by Him. Yes, we may waver. 
Yes, we may struggle. True faith endures. True faith finishes. Because it's not up to my fleeting, wrestled flesh to do it on my own. If it was, I'm done. I'm done. I won't make it. Praise be to God that it is a gift of God. Let us praise Him for His great and life-changing gift of saving faith. Now when Paul says, this is not your own doing, this gives us another layer of understanding. Again, to be clear, while each of us are the ones who trust in God, who believe into His name, while others do not, the very action of faith is not a doing performed by us as much as it is a trusting in Jesus who is performing what is needed. I will attempt with all the failedness of man-made illustrations to prove this point or at least to illustrate what I'm trying to say. Most of you are familiar with what's called a faith fall. I invite my brother Darren to the stage and model it for you, but we didn't practice, and I, although I trust you, but and you get how it works. You, you stand, you close your eyes, someone's behind you, you spread your arms, and you just fall. You don't get to bend your knees, you fall like timber, and you trust that person to catch you. When done correctly, you simply fall back and have complete trust in the other to catch you. And if they want to be on America's Funniest Home Videos, they don't. (laughs) It is not a faith fall if you first require a harness to be put around you and then slowly lowered. Right? That would be lame. It is not a faith fall if you require to hold a rope and then lower yourself at your own pace. You are either truly trusting the other or not. You're trusting in their performance completely or not. We are not saved by anything performed by us, but fully and only trust in Christ. We we do not continue in Christ in moving from faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't hang our hat on saving faith and then go about a life by which we, we have to secure it, harness it, have our hands on it. We walk by faith. We trust it to God. We remain dependent on Christ in all things. Not guilty of taking things into our own hands. Let's test this considering your own life. When evaluating how your Christian walk is going, if this is about to get sobering, praise God, because it's a chance to grow, it's a chance to mature. If evaluating how your Christian walk is going, if what you think of when I say, how is your Christian walk going, you think of the things you are or are not performing and practicing, you are all too much relying on yourself. 
But if you simply and completely see how utterly dependent you are on Christ, and it's nothing that you are performing that is making a difference in your standing with God, then you are walking by faith. Again, I've been praying, Lord, stretch us. Get us out of our excuse-making. Get us out of some of the mundane places, the routine places that we're guilty of being. Take our faith to this most amazing level that we are with Paul in saying it is all for naught. I trust in Christ. To have Christ is the win. It's all. It belongs to Him. I'm not saying Jesus is enough, Jesus is good, and then I've got my arms wrapped around everything, and and I'm so put down when it doesn't go my way, and I'm so undone when I'm losing things that I care about, and I'm so worried, and I'm so I have to be in control of it. That's not faith. Faith, trust Him. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He doesn't say life will not bring you troubles in your belief into me. That's the prosperity gospel. That's an unbiblical lie. No, the scriptures are clear that life will bring many troubles. Jesus himself says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6.34 No, Jesus is saying, do not be troubled in your heart. It is one thing to have troubles come your way. This is a reality of this life that we will live in this broken world until we are in glory and in God's new kingdom. But it is another thing to be troubled or bothered by those troubles because of sin. We're not to let the troubles get to our core, to our identity, to our hope, to our peace, to our joy, to define us in any way. Why? Because I live by faith in Jesus. Not by the troubles I face. Do not be troubled. Do not be undone by troubles. Believe in me, he says. Believe in God. God who is above all things. God who can be trusted to prevail and remain faithful to his promises. That what he has begun, he will finish. Beloved, this is the truest marker of faith, that we walk in it, that we cling to it, that we stand fast in it, despite the troubles we face, despite the storms that rage. We walk by faith and not by sight. So do you walk by faith, or do you walk by sight? Walking by sight means you're dependent on your circumstances to go well. And you're constantly complaining, constantly undone, constantly chasing your peace and your joy because those things are not the way you want them to be.
Walking by faith means you know that you are in Christ. And for eternity, your rest, your peace, your joy is in him. The faith you have in him is the source of your joy, not your circumstances. He's the source of your peace, not your circumstances. This means when your marriage is really hard, you trust in God and your joy is in Christ. When the kids are disobedient and floundering, you trust in God and your joy is in Christ. When your bank account is low, you trust in God and your faith is in Christ. When your loved one is suffering illness and might be close to death or lifelong impairment, you trust in God and your joy is in Christ. When a person you love betrays you, you trust in God and your hope is in Christ. When your society is falling apart and the sinful world's agenda is growing in its influence, true Christians are not undone. They trust in God and their joy is in Christ. Do you remember the context of that famous verse, walk by faith and not by sight? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Let me read you the context. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is speaking of the trouble we face. The temporariness of it. We take our courage and live by faith and not by sight because of the promises of God, because of eternity that awaits us, the guarantee we have in the Spirit. Yes, we long to be home with the Lord, but we walk by faith in the meantime. Amen? Amen. A.W. Pink says it well. What if trials come thick and fast? What if I'm misunderstood or unappreciated? What if Satan roars and rages against me? If God be for us, who can be against us? Believe in God. Believe in His absolute sovereignty, His infinite wisdom, His unchanging faithfulness, His wondrous love. Jesus says, believe also in Me. I am the one who died for thy sins and rose again for thy justification. I am the one who ever liveth to make intercession for thee. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. I am the one who shall come again to receive you unto myself, and ye shall be with 
forever with me. Yes, believe also in me. I'm excited to dive into verse 9. As Paul emphasizes that faith alone is for the glory of God alone. But to conclude our time this morning, I want to read you Isaiah 55, 6-7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Church, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14.23 May we seek God. May we trust Him. That's what He's saying. Trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in every moment of your days, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. And in closing, John three sixteen through 18 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes into Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes into Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed into the name of the only Son of God. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus alone for salvation and be saved. Walk by faith and not by sight, church. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for you, thankful for all that you are, all that you're doing. Oh God, you are good and worthy to be praised. You are just, you are wrath, you are love, you are grace. All of these perfections are you, God, and we worship you. Lord, I thank you for this time of study and preparation in the weeks leading up to today that I've been blessed by personally, encouraged, challenged by. I pray this for my brothers and sisters in the room, that our faith would abound, it would, it would mature, and the ways that we're guilty of turning to the flesh or turning to sight, that we would continue, we'd walk by faith. I pray for the unbelieving or maybe those who think they believe but don't believe into Christ may they trust in Christ alone and be saved you are worthy O oh God 
to be praised. We celebrate the gospel good news that sets us free as we prepare to go today in Jesus' name.